Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com. Woodhill Community Center. Have a hand in the heart of the city. Support their mission with your donations at WoodhillCommunityCenter.org. Toyota on Nicholasville Superstore. Online consultants are standing by right now to help you find your next Toyota. Visit ToyotaOnNicholasville.com. Lexus of Lexington. Home of the best-selling Lexus IS. Find yours today at LexusofLexington.com. Hello, and welcome to Connecting the Dots. I'm your host, Mark Shea, and we are here this time, as we are here every time, to talk about life, the universe, and everything from a Catholic perspective. And today we're going to do something a little different. Uh, So I was minding my own business uh, last week, and I got an email from Raphael Letzter. He's a staff writer uh, for LiveScience.com. And he wrote me and asked if uh, he could get some background on the history of Catholic views of hell. Uh, this, of course, was in response to the uh, the little kerfuffle in the news this week uh, um, about the interview that uh, was given by uh, Pope Francis to Eugenio Scalfari, who has uh, a long <laughs> history of badly misquoting the Pope. Um, uh, by the way, just uh, very briefly, um, people keep asking, you know, why does he give interviews to this guy who uh, misquotes him? Uh, my own view, I, I think, is uh, uh, I, I've never had any trouble understanding uh, Pope Francis. Everything you need to know about him uh, is summed up in the words, he has preached good news to the poor. This is a guy who's all about evangelism. Why is he talking to an atheist reporter, you ask? Because he's an evangelist. And it isn't all that often that you run into atheists who want to talk about the faith. Uh, So here's somebody who wants to talk about the faith. Why is he talking to him? Because he's an evangelist, and that's why. Uh, And he apparently is willing to... Uh, take the risk that he'll be misquoted, as Scalfari has done uh, so often with him. Uh, that's what I think is going on. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, it prompted uh, uh, an interesting discussion uh, with uh, uh, Mr. Letster, uh, and he has very kindly uh, agreed to share the uh, audio file of our uh, phone conversation. Uh, which I thought might be of interest to other people. Uh, so, without further ado, uh, here's my conversation uh, with Raphael Letzter of LiveScience.com. Okay, so yeah, so can you start by telling me literally when, when a Catholic person says hell, you know, what 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 are we talking about? What 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 what, what does that mean? Okay. Uh, we are talking about a state of being mm-hmm. uh, more than a place. Uh, so, you know, we're not talking about uh, going down into some, you 
uh, Gustav door, uh, you know, cave somewhere. Sure. Uh, um, uh, so the the idea uh, behind hell has to do ultimately with the with with the logic of uh, Catholic anthropology. It, it begins first of all with the words of Jesus himself. Jesus is the one mm-hmm. uh, who warns of hell repeatedly, uh, and the imagery that he uses. Uh, you know, he, he speaks of where their their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word that he uses uh, in Greek uh, is Gehenna, and uh, Gehenna uh, is a, is a real place. It, it that's the Greek word for the Valley of Hinnom, which is a valley south of Jerusalem. Uh, and uh, the reason he uses that word is because this place was. Uh, this was the place where, uh, during the reign of uh, King Manasseh, one of the worst uh, kings of Judah in uh, uh, the history of uh, the Old Testament, uh, practiced uh, child sacrifice there. So uh, babies were thrown in the fire uh, as sacrifices to Moloch. Mm-hmm. And so Jewish piety, you can see the same thing today, for example. There was a, there was a conflict about, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago, um, where some nuns uh, went into Auschwitz. In addition to 2 million Jews being killed at Auschwitz, 2 million Poles were killed at Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. So some Catholic nuns, uh, who were Poles, uh, did what Catholics do uh, it's kind of a Catholic instinct uh, to, to to beautify places of death mm-hmm. uh, in commemoration of the dead. So um, they went in and they tried to, um, you know, sort of turn it into a shrine to uh, 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 the millions of poles killed there. Well, Jewish piety is very different. Jewish piety is no, this is a death zone, you know. Yeah. Leave it alone. Don't dress it up, you know. Uh, and this was, you know, this is a place that was specifically dedicated to the murder of Jews. Um, mm-hmm. And so there was this big conflict that happened, and the bishop finally said to the nuns, don't do that. Stop that. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's funny. I, 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 so I, I came up with our series. I distinctly remember that controversy. I've never heard it described by a non-Jewish person before. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a kind of a classic cultural clash, you know. Right. The nuns were wrong. They shouldn't have done it, you know. Um, and, but all, the, all that is to say exactly the same attitude was taken toward the Valley of Hinnom. This is a mm-hmm. death zone. This is a place where, uh, you know, one of the darkest chapters in our history unfolded. Uh, and so Jesus took that image of that place uh, as his term for uh, uh, damnation, for the, 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 the state of the place of damnation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so um, uh, the, 
the teaching on hell, it, it, the reason I mention all that is because one of the misperceptions a lot of people have is uh, Jesus is all sweetness and light, and it was probably some weirdo like St. Paul who, you know, first started talking about hell, you know, and, and this is the first corruption that we find in the teaching of Jesus, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, if there's anybody in the New Testament who has a, a, a radically optimistic view of uh, the power of grace at work in the world, it's Paul. Um, so, you know, Paul is the one who will say things that God, like uh, God has handed uh, uh, everyone over to sin so that he can have mercy on everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and this will be, this, this will play out later in the history of the church. So there's already present uh, in uh, Old Testament uh, revelation, uh, the idea of some kind of shadowy uh, place of the grave, the, the word is shale, uh, sure. S-H-O-L. Um, but in the Old Testament, there's not, there's, there's not uh, until quite late Old Testament Judaism, about the time of the Maccabees, is the first time that you find, at least in writing, you find people talking about things like the resurrection, of the dead. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, Second Maccabees will tell a story about uh, uh, a mother and her seven sons who go to this gruesome death, and and the whole point of that story is uh, these guys are willing to undergo this because they believe in the resurrection of the body. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but still, not. It, it hasn't been fully worked out what happens after you die. Um, and so it's really with the New Testament, it's really with the teaching of Jesus that you, um, we find Jesus really emphasizing just how high the stakes are, uh, that it really is the, it really is the difference between heaven and hell. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, uh, the idea behind hell uh, goes back to uh, the question of what we are. Are we immortal beings? Uh, if we are immortal beings, uh, which is certainly what Jesus affirmed, uh, then uh, what happens if we set our will permanently uh, toward the rejection of grace, mm -hmm. uh, toward the rejection of uh, the love of God. Uh, that's called hell. <laughs> and so the idea in the New Testament is not so much that we are damned for our sins, as though God just has sort of a set of arbitrary rules. What? You ate a steak on Good Friday? Well, to hell with you for all eternity. That's not the idea. The idea is not that we're damned uh, for our sins, but that we're damned by our sins. That hell is uh, the, the full outworking of the choice to refuse grace, which is ultimately the, cho the choice to refuse life, love,
you know, all the rest of it. And so, you know, we look, and there's, so there's certain people we can look at in history, kind of archetypal people, Hitler, Himmler, you know. Um, these are people who, to all appearances to the eye, we obviously can't know for sure because we don't, we don't know what their ultimate choices were, but to all appearances to the eye, these are people who chose to utterly cut themselves off mm-hmm. uh, from grace. And so that's the idea behind hell. Um, in the history of the church, uh, there have been uh, various uh, you know, ways of grappling with this. Hell is obviously it's a terrifying doctrine. Uh, and uh, not to, uh, you you could you can, a, a tiny tiny percentage of very psychologically troubled people I think in the history of the church have ever looked at hell and said that's the thing for me I really love this teaching you know right. Uh, that and so there's been uh, there's been all kinds of attempts uh, to grapple with it uh, over time, uh, but the basic idea of you know that the, that the church has always held is that if you will the the gates of hell are barred from the inside mm-hmm. um, that uh, oddly enough. Uh, all those in hell, and by the way, the church has never, ever, ever definitively said, yes, we know for certain, uh, you know, that there are people in hell. We That's something we can't know. Uh, we know huh. that it's a possibility for anybody, uh, but we don't know if anybody has ever ultimately, finally, utterly made the choice to cut themselves off from the grace and life of God. We, not even Judas Iscariot, the, the church ever, you know, definitively said, Judas is in hell. We, we don't even know that. Uh, so, so it's, so, so just, just I, to make sure I really understand what you just said. Uh, so it, are you saying that the church has never said that any, Given individual person is necessarily Correct. in hell, or or, or is it has it been the standing position of the church, sort of explicitly? We don't know that anyone is in hell. The the the, the church warns of the very real possibility of hell for anyone. Mm-hmm. Any person is capable of making that choice. What we don't know and can't know by the nature of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, is whether any person has ever done that. Got it. Uh, the, the, and so what the church, and this is something, uh, uh, so, so let, let me just very quickly kind of give you a, a quick flyover. So as the, you know, as the fathers of the church wrestled with these issues, uh, one theory that was put forward, uh, uh, not really by, Origin, but by uh, the name is O R I G E N. But there was sort of a school of thought that is associated with origin. Uh, and what was put forward there was uh, a theory that became known as the Apocatastasis. A P O C A T A 
S T A S I S. And the apocatastasis, the the theory it was basically that uh, for sure, because the grace of God is so great uh, that everything would ultimately be redeemed. Even Satan would ultimately be saved. Um, the church rejected that. And the reason the church rejected that is, 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 is that we can't know the end of the story. That's not mm-hmm. possible for us to know. Uh, that is known only to God. And the, this theory of the apocatastasis was rejected uh, in part because um, it dangerously sins against the virtue of hope. That sounds weird. It seems pretty hopeful to me, right? Right. <laughs> uh, but in fact, here's, here's how the church looks at the virtue of hope. The, the virtue of hope is ordered toward the fact that we can't know the end of the story. What we can know is we can know that God is good. We can know that he is merciful and gracious. What we can't know is what the human response will be to the mercy and grace of God. So we can hope, and the church, in fact, urges us to hope. Uh, so, for example, in the, the prayers that are being offered in the liturgy today, on Good Friday specifically, mm-hmm. we are urged as a church to pray for the salvation of every human person who has ever lived. Mm-hmm. Hitler, Judas Iscariot, that guy that cut you off on the freeway, <laughs> you know, all the all of that, right? We are we are urged to hope for and pray for it. And and you can't pray for something that you know God is not going to do. You know, I I cannot pray that Lee Harvey Oswald does not shoot John F. Kennedy on November 22nd, 1963. Why? Because it's already happened. I know that that's an impossible prayer. God is not going to answer that prayer with a yes. So what's the point of praying that? And yet, the church calls us to pray for the salvation of every person. That means that it's possible... We don't know, but it's possible that God will save every human person. God would not command us to pray something that that we know for certain he is not going to do. So there is hope, but there are two enemies of hope. One of them is despair, um, the belief that, you know, I am somehow so uniquely terrible that God cannot forgive me. Uh, it's a, it's really it's a kind of it's a form of pride. Mm-hmm. I am so special <laughs> that even God can't forgive me. That's that's one enemy of hope. The other enemy of hope is presumption, and that's that's the problem with the apocatastasis, is that it's it's a form of presumption. We know for sure that God's going to save everybody. In which case, I can do whatever I like. Um. And that is exactly the wrong, this is what Paul warns about uh, when he, he, he throws cold water on the idea, uh, let us sin that grace may abound. He says, 
no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't do that, right? <laughs> uh, so uh, that was that was a that was a conflict that happened in the uh, the early church. I, I think it kind of came. I'm not sure on the timeline here, but I I think it was basically kicked around in the third and fourth centuries uh, of the church, but don't quote me on that because I. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, what the church uh, settled on, and, and, and as always, you find exactly the same thing in the New Testament. Um, uh, we are encouraged, we are urged uh, to hope in Christ because this is about a living relationship with him, not about a legal contract or about, you know, saying magic words uh, or, or any of those kinds of things. It's about uh, having a living relationship with Christ. And so what the church says is, if you remain in a living relationship with Christ, when you sin, you will ask for forgiveness, because that's what you do when you're in a living relationship with someone. You know, if, you, if you're married and you hurt your wife in some way, what do you do? You go, you say you're sorry, and you repair the relationship. Uh, and then you continue on from there. And if you do that, uh, says the church, you know, and says Jesus, uh, then um, you will be saved. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's not, uh, it, it's all about remaining in that relationship. And so it's a, it's a daily, you know, a, a daily attention to that relationship. Um, Got it. Uh, so the the church does not and has never taught that you'll just disappear if you were a bad person. You know? mm-hmm. uh, the church says we are by the nature of the kind of creature we are. Uh, we are immortal mm-hmm. because we've been made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, and so what we do really matters because, of course, and we see this all the time, we change ourselves with our choices. And as we uh, open ourselves to the grace of God, it is uh, possible to grow in grace, to become more and more like Christ, or it really is possible. You know, Himmler wasn't born that way. Mm-hmm. Himmler became Himmler by a whole lifelong series of choices. Uh, and in the church's understanding, the damnation that Himmler faces, assuming he's damned, uh, is is to be Heinrich Himmler for all eternity. Huh. That's uh, a really so, so I so I have to so I have to ask him because you know as you know a real outsider to. I've read the New Testament as someone, you know, that I, I, I have a really limited understanding of sort sure, of okay. the, the underlying concepts here. Uh, so, well, well, just to ask the obvious question first, you know, when I think of you know, the, the Christian idea of hell, I think of, you know, fire and brimstone, and I think of Dante, and I, I think of, you know, I mean, fire more than anything else is sort of the image um, and so beyond the the the, the valley of Gehenna where, where these child sacrifices uh were were done, um 
is there is there something in church doctrine from which that emerges? Is that something that traces back to Dante? What what's sort of the source for that? And would it be correct to say that that's really not the Catholic view of things? The the, the biblical imagery uh, very much has to do with fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with destruction. So Jesus will speak, for example, uh, when he he, he he talks about. Um, uh, he, when he in the discourse in uh, uh, John's Last Supper discourse, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus will in John 15 he will say things like, "I am the vine, and you are the branches. And you know, if you remain in me, then um, then you will live. But uh, those branches that don't remain in me, what happens to branches that don't remain in the tree? Well, they dry up. And then what do you do with them? Well, you burn them." Uh, and so um, uh, that's the imagery is of fiery destruction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also the imagery of exile, uh, of being shut out. Uh, so uh, Jesus will tell, for example, the parable of the wedding banquet. Um, uh, and uh, the, those who are not, who don't enter the banquet when they're invited, um, they're they're shut out. Uh, um, so words like outer darkness, for example, mm-hmm. are also a description uh, of. Uh, and, and so the the idea is of uh, destruction. C.S. Lewis speaks, uh, for example, trying to describe the doctrine of hell, it's not so much that we're talking about the damned as people anymore, but as ex-people. Mm-hmm. What do you get when you burn something? You don't have a log anymore. You have something that used to be a log. Hmm. Um, gases, you know, ashes. Um, and um, so this is all imagery that's trying to get across something that is even more terrible than what's being described. And we can we get hints of this, I think, sometimes when we look at people who have, you know, again, you know, Hitler, I think, is a useful image here because you see particularly, you know, in his final days, somebody who's well on the way to being an ex-human, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the kind of psychic disintegration that's going on there. Sure. Um, just, you know, prolong, you know, prolong that into eternity. What does that look like? Nothing good. Um, and so that's, you know, the, what the New Testament is, is trying to warn about then is the possibility that it, that it really is, that, that people really are capable of so cutting themselves off from, you know, all life and light and grace and relationship, um, what happens to them? Um, hell is the, is the word that is trying to pinpoint that kind of uh, psychic social, uh, spiritual disintegration of the human person. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and uh, uh, yeah, the, there's, there's just there's no getting around uh, the fact that that has always been uh, a, a facet of the of the of the Catholic of the whole Christian tradition, uh, the Apostolic Christian tradition. I, I can't speak to there. Are of course, you know, lots of uh, different sects that have shown up, uh, particularly since the Reformation, uh, who have tried to solve the problem of hell by just saying, "Well, it's, it's not real; it doesn't happen," mm-hmm. or you know, uh, or you just disappear if you've been a bad person, or, or those kinds of things. Um, uh, but in the Catholic tradition, the uh, the the warning has always been that it really is possible for us to uh subject ourselves to that kind of destruction what the church doesn't do significantly uh and in fact uh, uh, uh denies <laughs> is it doesn't play the game of well if you're catholic then you know you're saved and everybody who isn't catholic uh they're all going to hell got it uh, so the, yeah the, that's, the, i i didn't know, that's a that's a protestant idea i guess or well, no, actually, the reason the church had to condemn it was because there, of course, you know, uh, people ask if I belong to, if I believe in organized religion, I always say, no, I'm a Catholic. <laughs> uh, because it's, you know, you gotta, it's a communion of, what, 700 million people, or I, I forget how big. Sure. Are, you know. So, you know, sure, you're going to get. Uh, within the Catholic fold, you're going to get, and we got uh, here in the United States in 1949. There was a uh, there was a priest named Leonard Feeney who really did say, you know, if you're not Catholic, then you're going to hell, and that's that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Church condemned him for that because, again, we can't know that. And in fact, Jesus uh, specifically speaks to the idea of uh, the judgment of the nations. Um, uh, and here he's being very Jewish, of course. Uh, sure. The the goyim, you know, and, and what he means by that is those who are perceived to be outside uh, the, the the church that he's that he is founding. Uh, and and so he tells the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, and what's significant about the parable of the sheep and the goats is neither the sheep nor the goats had the slightest idea. Uh, that they were serving Jesus when they fed the hungry and gave drink to the thirsty and visited the sick and, you know, took care of the prisoner and clothed the naked and all of that. You know, uh, the king says to them in the parable, come into the kingdom which my father prepared for you from the foundation of the world because I was hungry and you did all these things. And their response is, when did we see you? <laughs> thirsty, he says, in as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And so that, you know, that parable uh, makes clear, again, the classic Catholic teaching, that what matters to Jesus is, is more than anything is that you respond to the promptings of his spirit, whether you know his name or not. I mean, if you know his name, great. You know, and welcome to full communion. And you know, uh, and obviously he urges. Uh, you know, the, the gospels are all about uh, uh, faith in Jesus and and uh, uh, you know, re- receiving him as Lord and Savior and through the sacraments and so forth. Uh, 
but for those who, for whatever reason, have not been vouchsafed an encounter with Jesus, that doesn't mean that he is powerless. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, and, and so uh, uh, the church has never played this game of, you know, well, you know, well, we got, we've got the, the inside track and everybody else is screwed. You know, that's mm-hmm. just never been uh, uh, Catholic teaching. So the idea then uh, of hell is that it is um, punishment by our sin. Hell is, if you will, hell is sin in fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, if you continue to deliberately make those choices that will destroy uh, whatever overtures of grace God is making in your life, and you may or may not even be aware that He's making those overtures of grace, but it's 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 still possible to shut yourself off. And we see that in people, right? I mean, we see these moments where, uh, you know, the the guy who, uh, you know, has abused his girlfriend uh, has is is given a chance to redeem himself to stop being such a selfish jackass, mm-hmm. uh, and instead. You know, he, he he makes. Sometimes it can be you can you can watch it happen in the expression on a face. You know, where somebody has this moment where they realize I need to change, and then they they make the choice of you know I'm my own man. I don't need you know whatever. And besides, she's you know she's not worth my time or whatever. And people can do those kinds of things. They can they can take those moments where they're offered the chance to love and just kiss it away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that can, you know, in, in the Catholic tradition, you know, that was a moment where the Holy Spirit was giving you a chance. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and you weren't listening, you know, because you, you were sure you had it together or whatever, you know. And, and so that's, you know, uh, it's those all those little cumulative choices over time um, that can add up to you know a lifetime of, of uh, self-destruction. You know, at the same time, because we really do believe in the radical power of grace, it is possible and it has happened. Uh, you know that people have, at the very last minute of their lives, said, "What have I done?" You know, and that sort of. Alec Guinness moment, you know, in Bridge on the River Kwai, where suddenly the lights come on, you know, uh, uh, two seconds before death, and and uh, and or you know, and that's what the, for example, the Good Thief uh, is is an illustration of that. You know, this is a guy who, you know, was a murderer, and uh, but at the last minute said. Uh, Remember me when you come into your kingdom, and that is good enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, God is unscrupulous and will come through any crack. So, um, 
that's yeah, that's kind of it. The, the only other thing uh, uh, that is worth mentioning mm-hmm. in terms of uh, kind of the history of controversy about hell, m- most recently, uh, there was a book that came out about I don't know twenty years ago uh, by a Catholic theologian named Hans Urs von Balthasar. Okay. Uh, and he wrote a book called Dare We Hope uh, That All Men May Be Saved. He's a, he was a Swiss theologian. He wrote in German. Uh, and this caused a bit of controversy uh, because some people read it as uh, proposing, again, uh, universalism, um, the idea that uh, ev- that hell is empty. Uh, but that is exactly what he did not say. Um his point was subtle, but I think uh, uh, perfectly orthodox. He said, we can't know uh, the end of the story either way. Therefore, all we're left with is hope. And we can hope, and in fact, we are commanded to hope. Um, Hmm. So um, that's... um, That, that's worth mentioning as well. And so it comes up periodically. Um, Got it. The um, my my guess. I haven't read the interview yet, but my guess is that um, well, the problem with Scafari, the guy that did the interview, is that he's, he doesn't take notes and he frequently gets things incredibly wrong. He he doesn't take notes. Uh, how how do you know that? What's that? Oh, it's it's uh, because he's done interviews with Francis in the past, and this has come up. Oh gosh. Uh, so he's ninety three years old. Uh huh. And he's an atheist. And uh-huh. uh, you know, one one of the questions that's come up with regarding Francis in his repeated interviews, he's done five interviews uh, with. Uh, Scafari, mm-hmm. and by the, you know when this interview came out, the the main question that people were asking was why does he keep giving interviews to that guy? Because <laughs> he keeps getting things hugely wrong, you know, like sure. there's no hell, you know, uh, which is never something that Francis. And in fact, Francis is on the record multiple times warning, as because he's you know the Pope. That, <laughs> That, uh, you know, he, he told Italian mobsters, right, uh, repent or you're going to go to hell, you know, mm. and uh, which is, you know, what you expect the Pope to say. Um, but the question is, well, why did he give this interview? My own view is uh, simply that uh, all you need to know about Francis is that Francis is all about evangelization. Um, the very first thing that he did when he became Pope was he wrote uh, uh a letter called the joy of uh, the gospel mm. and uh, all, everything you need to know about Francis is that that guy is totally motivated by evangelization. So here's an atheist that wants to talk about the faith. Surprise. He's talking to the atheist about the faith. <laughs> Cause he's an evangelist, sure. you know, and sure. that, you know, why did he talk to the guy? Well, that's why. Um, but uh, in the course of it, you know, one of the, one of the risks that he takes uh, is that the guy seems to have uh, an amazing 
perverse ability to just <laughs> not understand what he's talking about and radically misquote him. And uh, that is that's what happened here. Gotcha. Uh, so uh, yeah. So 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 I have a a couple. I I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but okay. Uh, it, 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 so I have two question, two more questions. One of which might be a doozy. You can just say, you know, that that's a whole other interview. Um, yeah. Another of which is pretty quick. Uh, so for, we, we talked about you know hell as this orientation away from grace. I wonder if you can talk me through. You know, when you are talking about grace, what specifically are you talking about? What what does it mean to be in a state of grace? Grace means, uh, in, in Catholic understanding, grace means the Trinitarian life of God. That uh, in baptism, uh, mm-hmm. first of all, just to be clear, uh, Catholic teaching is that we are bound by the sacraments, but God is not bound by the sacraments. So, Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus says, unless a man be born again of water and the Spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you need to be baptized uh, as the normative way of entering into uh, uh, full communion with God, the Blessed Trinity, uh, and the Church. At the same time, um, uh, God is not bound by this. So God, uh, to quote the Harvard, uh, or paraphrase the Harvard Law of Animal Behavior, God, under carefully controlled laboratory conditions, can do whatever he wants because uh-huh. he's God. So the good thief is not baptized. Uh, but uh, we have it on really good authority. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, he's saved anyway. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, none of them baptized, and yet, uh, again, uh, Jesus assures us that they are uh, uh, in the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, the, the sacraments are understood in Catholic theology as sure encounters with mm-hmm. God, but not mm-hmm. as they're not supposed to be reducing valves to make sure that all the unbaptized will never be saved. That's not the purpose of the sacraments. And so people can have all kinds of encounters with grace, and they do. Um, But grace means incorporation into the church, and above all, it means participation. This is the language of St. Peter. Uh, uh, He calls... uh, uh, calls it partaking in the divine nature. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, we become, in uh, Catholic understanding, through the working of grace, especially in the sacraments, we become uh, uh, human beings who gratuitously, because God wanted to do it, certainly not because we deserve it, uh, become uh, Creatures who, in their own small way, uh, uh, replicate, uh, if all goes well, uh, the life of Christ in their own lives and become uh, not merely creatures who are in 
in the image of God, but become, uh, well, the, the language of the tradition, the Western tradition is divinized, uh, and in the Eastern tradition, the, the term, which means the same thing, is theosis. So tr- transformation into uh, participants in the life of God himself. Um, and so uh, C.S. Lewis, for example, will say that um, uh, in one passage, he, he writes a, he gave a homily one time uh, Pentecost, and he said it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to realize that the dullest and most uninteresting creature you could meet may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else, he says, a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, uh, if at all, only in a nightmare. Uh, and so that's the kind of stakes that the Christian tradition has always understood that we're playing for, um, uh, and which is uh, why the you know, both the warnings about hell, but also the uh, the exhortations to uh, uh, to obedience to Christ uh, and thereby uh, transformation. Um, so that's you know that's what we're talking about when we talk about grace. Grace also has uh, the uh, connotation of, which is extremely important, of unmerited favor. Um, that there is no person who deserves uh, the gifts of mercy and forgiveness, the gifts of participation in the Trinitarian life. All of this is. It happens because God is unbelievably generous. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and so um, uh, the, the and the archetype of this, of course, is, is the crucifixion itself, that what God does is he takes I, I, I used to have a Kind of a daydream of the, uh, you know, the the flying saucer, uh, you know, landing on the White House lawn, and you know, Earth leaders are assembled, and um, uh, the you know the the ramp comes down, and the alien comes out, and they've got their universal translators, and they, you know, so we greet them, and they say, well, you know, we're here because. Um, you know, it was revealed to us by our planetary angels that God himself has, you know, become one of your species. And uh, we just wanted to know, what did you do to welcome him? Oh, God. <laughs> he wants to be the UN translator that has to explain that one, you know. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, but the, the thing is, is that uh, uh, precisely that display uh, of incredibly common, you know, all you have to do is just turn on the news, see what's happening in Syria right now, or just, Mm -hmm. you know, anywhere in our history, you know, uh, you know, the kind of brutality that we can meet out to one another. Jesus joined our species and took exactly that kind of brutality uh, and then turns that into uh, the means by which he 
saves the species. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, too, is a hugely important uh, understanding what the word grace means, that we don't have to earn anything. We don't have to get God to love us. Um, God already loves us. And, in fact, uh, we can do, we can pour out the worst thing in the world on him, and he'll just take that and turn it into uh, the means of grace for us, because he won't be stopped. And this is why, uh, you know, the early fathers, uh, some of the early fathers were able to speculate on the idea of apocatastasis, that when you have that kind of relentless will for our good that can take crucifixion and say, okay, I can use that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, uh, that that's also what we're talking about when we're talking about grace. Got it. And then uh, last question I have for you, I, just at a personal level for you or, or you know, on, on a theological level, <laughs> to, to posit sort of the nutty scenario, if you did wake up one day and, you know, Pope Francis or, or a pope was on TV saying in English, no, I mean it, there's no such thing as hell. What Would that mean for you? That Would that require you to change your beliefs on this subject? Or, or, or help me understand what it would mean for a pope to make a declaration like that. Well, uh, if a pope, okay, slightly technical stuff here. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we speak of the infallibility of the pope, mm-hmm. what we mean is an incredibly narrowly defined thing. So the pope mm-hmm. has to, for example, in an, if the pope gets up in the morning and says, it looks like rain, and then it turns out <laughs> to be a sunny day, infallibility <laughs> is not in ruins. Uh, if the Pope lost his mind uh, and said, you know, well, you know, I think the church has always been wrong about hell, uh, it would mean that he was wrong. It would not mean that infallibility was compromised because popes can say erroneous things uh, mm-hmm. as long as they are not defining dogma. And Mm -hmm. so if the Pope were to release an encyclical in which he said, you know, by the authority of Vestibine, I declare, pronounce, and define that there is no such thing as hell, then there would be problems. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it would uh, uh, call into, you know, question the the dogma of infallibility. But that's never going to happen. (laughs) Right. And and the reason it's never going to happen is because uh, uh, the Pope is protected by uh, infallibility. Infallibility is not the idea that the Pope is smarter and holier than everybody else and therefore can't err. Mm -hmm. What infallibility really means is that Catholics, including the Pope, are a pack of dumbbells. (laughs) <laughs> and terrible sinners, and therefore need the constant protection of the Holy Spirit to keep us from saying something idiotic. <laughs> and that's really it, you know. So uh, because 
uh, it, it goes back to the promise then of Jesus saying that I will be with you until the end of the age and that the Holy Spirit will guide the church. And so it ultimately it doesn't rely on the Pope being smart or good. Uh, it really relies on uh, the fact that the Holy Spirit is the soul of the church. And mm. so yeah, it's not something I I worry about because I know it can't happen. Got it. Okay. Uh, well, thank you so much for taking so much time to sort of talk me through these issues. Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... We want to help others, especially in places of strife, such as the Holy Land, where Christianity is dwindling by the day. But how to help? Here's an easy way. Buying products through the Holy Land gift shop. Every product you purchase at myfranciscan.org slash shop helps Christians support their families and stay in the Holy Land. Olive wood, embroidery, spices, and many more authentic products from the Holy Land are available right now at myfranciscan.org slash shop. The Holy Land Gift Shop, bringing the Holy Land home. I learned how many people we could help and how good you feel after you've helped others. I know Lent is about giving, so I want to give. These kids are talking about CRS Rice Bowl, a Lenten program known by generations of Catholic families. Children love it because they experience different cultures and gain a lasting impression of the people they are helping. You can bring CRS Rice Bowl into your home and experience the joy of seeing your children or grandchildren find new meaning in Lent. Visit crsricebowl.org to get started. Rice Bowl inspired me to pray more and to pray for those who are less fortunate. The Cincinnati Catholic Men's Conference is back. Tickets are on sale now for Saturday, April 28th at the Taft Theater at CincinnatiMensConference.com or call 513-214-1534. The Speaker Conference roster is being hailed as one of the best lineups in the country. In rare appearances, come see Father Mitch Pacwa from EWTN, the man motivator Father Larry Richards, former Moeller High School and University of Notre Dame head football coach Jerry Faust, and the big celebrity keynote, Baz Rutten, UFC world champion, MMA world champ, and movie star. The conference theme is what it means to be a true Christian man in today's society. Don't miss the incredible day of motivation, spiritual benefit, and fellowship with men from all walks of life. Get tickets now at CincinnatiMensConference.com or call 513-214-1534. That's CincinnatiMensConference.com or 513-214-1534. Thank you for listening to Breadbox Media. Find more about us at BreadboxMedia.com.